choir? Bless their little hearts. They think they're black, don't they? (laughs) Turn with me in your copy of the Word of God. Turn with me to the book of James. James chapter number 5. I'm telling you, it has been so much fun to worship with you this morning. James chapter number 5, as I continue preaching a series that I began three weeks ago called Strength for the Journey. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 1 is a verse of scripture that I'm going to ask you to commit to memory. Hebrews 12, 1 is a passage I preached on February 23rd, 2003, and I have been preaching the same sermon ever since. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and you know what, I just, let me stop. I just think about all the, 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 all the old-time Main Street people that, that has, has worked so hard to, to, to get this church started and then get it up and going. Do you know that this building here, that, this, that we're worshiping in here this morning, in March, uh, in, in just over a month, this building will be 50 years old. But before that... I can't get my head around all this, but I guess they burned two or three churches and all that. I don't know what all happened, but finally they, they, we got this building. And, and I think about 1928 and all those old saints that worked so hard to make Main Street Church what it is today. And I believe with all my heart that that great cloud of witnesses have just really enjoyed watching Main Street Church worship this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses... The Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. Listen, and let us run with patience. Let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word race in Hebrews 12.1, the word fascinates me. It's the Greek word agon. It's where we get our English word agony. Agony is the very thing that Jesus Christ went through on the cross. And people will say to me, as I have said to you many times, is the Christian life hard? No. The Christian life is impossible. That's why God has given us Now, I've preached that so many times. I I need you. Listen, worship is not a spectator sport. And I want you to worship with me. Is, is, Is Christian life hard? No, it is impossible. That's why God has given us the the Holy Spirit dwells inside you. The Holy Spirit himself is causes you to have strength for the journey. And we have seen in God's word how people of God. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about church people. I'm talking about people like Nehemiah. The Old Testament Nehemiah who took on a great challenge of building the wall. And you know what we discovered about Nehemiah and his great ministry and his great work? In his work, Nehemiah became discouraged. Running the race, going about this impossible journey, he became discouraged. Last week, we talked about not discouragement, but about depression. Who, who got depressed? It was the children of God that got depressed. It was Moses, Elijah, 
Jonah, all of these great men of faith, they suffered from the spirit of depression. When you are born again, when you're saved and you're placed in the race, you know what? It's hard. It's impossible. So I praise the Lord for this verse, this passage of Scripture, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 this morning. The Bible says this, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Verse number 17. Look at this. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit when god's people pray when righteous people pray great things happen when i walk in to neyland stadium on saturday afternoon 1,245 people. When I walk into that stadium, you know what happens? Nothing. Matter of fact, if I'm not there, they don't care. Matter of fact, I've showed up a lot of times and it didn't seem like they cared that I was there. But when I showed up, there's the usher, there's the band, there's the football team. And you know what? Nobody cares that Wayne's in the house. When I walk into Walmart out here on... Uh, by, uh, the North Clinton exit, and I walk up there, and there's a person standing there and says, Good afternoon, welcome to Walmart. Once I get past that person there, nobody cares that I'm at Walmart. But you know what? When I fall on my knees and pray, Wayne Phillips, he has clout in heaven. The Bible says this. The Bible teaches this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And when I, a child of God, someone that was placed in the race, August 1971, Grave Hill Church, God saved me. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and He placed me in the race. And because of what Jesus Christ has done at Calvary, because I have, have, have been washed in the blood, I can call out the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, all hell trembles and all of heaven listens. Is there any among you, the Bible asks, is there any among you suffering? The word means afflicted or struggling. Main Street Church this morning, we have people who are in hospice care and who are approaching the end of their life's journey. 
We have people that are sitting beside their spouse, and we have people that are sitting beside their mom because their time of, of departure is near, as Paul said. It's a time of suffering. It's a time of struggle. It's a time of heartache. But do you know what? There are times in my life, every day of my life, I struggle with the notion that I have to stand on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, that I have to stand before the people of God and preach His Word. That is a tremendous, tremendous burden on my life. I've been doing this for some time now, and I have never, ever settled in my heart that I can do this in my own strength. The Bible says this, is there any among you that are struggling, that are afflicted? Listen to this, let them pray. How many times do we, as God's children, who have been placed in the race, as we're running and doing all that God has called us to do, we hit that bump in the road, we, 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 we have a loved one with hospice, we have a struggle in our life, and the baby is sick, and we go through so many hoops, and when we run out of rope, and we are at the end of our rope, you know what we do? We pray. Is the baby sick? You know what you ought to do? You ought to anoint that baby with oil, lay your hands on that child, and pray. And then give him or her a little Tylenol, and then call the doctor. We jump through so many hoops before we pray. And the reason we do that is because we do not understand this great promise that's written in God's Word. Do you believe God's Word? There's a promise in God's Word that says this, The effectual, fervent prayer avails much. That word avail means persistent. It means forceful. It means strength. It means might. The, 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 the prayers of the righteous people, they have might. The prayers, they have strength. They're forceful. Let me tell you something. In August of 1971, when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, at that moment, at that moment, I became righteous in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the Bible says that he that knew no sin, Jesus, he that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I am righteous in Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells me and this, it gives me this promise, that my prayers avail much. They're powerful. They're, 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 they're forceful. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Nat- uh, Elijah was just like me. Elijah was just like you. Elijah puts on his britches. Well, I guess he put on his robe or whatever he wore. Just like me. And the Bible says 
that Elijah, who is just like you, who is just like me, the Bible says that he prayed. And when he prayed for 42 months, three and a half years, there was no rain. This righteous man prayed and called out to God, and God heard his prayer, and God stopped the rain. Then, after 42 months of no rain, Elijah prayed again. And when he prayed, it rained. Have you ever read about that in 2 Kings chapter number 18? Man, what was it, 2 Kings chapter 17? He prayed and there was no rain. And then he prayed again and he sent his servant up to the mountain and said, you see anything? No, I don't see a thing. Go back. Sent him up to the mountain seven times and he came back and he said, there's a little cloud out there about the size of a man's hand. He said, let's get out of here. It's going to rain. And you remember that it rained and the drought was over. Elijah, a man just like me, just like you, he prayed and it rained. Second King, or First Kings chapter 18. Elijah stood before Ahab. And Ahab said, you troubler of Israel. Elijah said, I'm not the troubler, you're the troubler. You have, and your wicked wife Jezebel has commanded us to worship pagan gods. And Elijah said this, let me tell you what. You get Baal, all 450 prophets of Baal, this God that, that, that produces crops and this God that produces uh, vegetation. You get 450 prophets and you have them meet me at Mount Carmel. And we'll pray. And we'll settle this thing. We'll pray, and if, if Baal answers, we'll worship Baal. And if Jehovah answers, we'll worship Jehovah. Jehovah said, uh, Ahab said, you got it. On Mount Carmel, somebody said, Pastor Wayne, do you really believe this? I believe this with all my heart. I believe there was 450 prophets of Baal. I believe they built an altar, and I began, they, began, they began to pray, and they began to call out, and they cut themselves, and Elijah began to tone them. <laughs> Where is he? Is he asleep? Call louder. He's probably on vacation. And it's not in the Bible, but I know Elijah probably said, na-na-na-na, boo-boo. <laughs> Finally. After the prophets had did all that they could do. During this season of drought. Elijah stacked the altar. Dug a trench around the altar. Sent men off the mountain. Bring me water. And they poured it on the altar. They did that four times. And they, they don't, don't, don't he know that there's a drought? And they're pouring water. On, and the trenches around the altar filled up. And then Elijah, who's a man just like me and a man just like you, according to the book of James. He called on God. Pastor, do you really believe this? I believe with all my heart. He called on God. Fire fell from heaven. And when fire fell from heaven, the Bible says the altar was consumed and the, the water in the trenches was all lapped up. 
and all the prophets of Baal went away. And they said, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship Jehovah. The prayers of the righteous people. I love the prayer that was prayed in Luke chapter number 1 by the old man of God. His name was Zechariah. Zechariah was married to a girl named Elizabeth. And they were old and well stricken in years, the Bible says. And the Bible says that this uh, priest, Elijah, was at the temple and he was serving at the temple. And the lots fell to him that he might uh, serve in, in in the holy place. The old man of God, he walked into the holy place and as he was in the holy place at the time of prayer, he, there was the table of showbread here and he did his ministry here. The, the candlestick was here. He did the ministry to the candlestick and right before you enter into the most holy place, on the other side of this veil is an ark of the covenant that is uh, veiled by, by the veil and here in front of the veil sits this piece of furniture. It's called the golden altar of incense. This altar that is represented, that, 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 that is placed here in, in, in the holy place is different from the altar that's out in the uh, uh, outer court. That altar out there is called the brazen altar. It represents the cross. And once you have come through the cross of Jesus Christ and you've been saved, you, you come into this holy place here and here, here's this, this altar of incense, this altar of prayer, this altar of, of, of praise. Can you see the old man in there ministering in the name of Jesus? And the Bible says that as Elijah or as Zechariah ministered in the holy place, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel said, don't be afraid. The prayers of you and your wife they have been heard and you're going to have a son old well stricken in years and this righteous man prayed and God gave him a son not just any son John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus Christ Thirty-three and a half years later, after Zechariah praying, standing before the altar, standing before the veil, the veil that's separating from the presence of God, thirty-three and a half years later, Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, died. He died on a cross at three o'clock in the afternoon. He died at the time of prayer. And the Bible says this, that the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top. It was torn. What's what's the big deal? That means God tore it in two. God opened up that place and where we have been separated and we had been isolated from the presence of God. Now, because I'm a child of God, I have the, the, the privilege of going into his presence. I love Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 16 says this. Let us come boldly. Let us come with confidence. Before the throne of grace. (laughs) 
Let's come boldly before the throne of grace where we can expect to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you're right. I have been saved. I was born again. I was walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. I've been running the race, but you know what? I hit a bump on the road. And to use an old-fashioned church word, I've backslid. I haven't walked with the Lord. I haven't served the Lord. I've turned my back on God. And I just don't believe that God in heaven would hear the prayer of someone like me. I praise the Lord for the Bible because the Bible speaks against that. In Luke chapter number 15, there's a passage in there that begins in verse number 11 about a man who had two sons. The youngest son went to his dad and he received his inheritance and he walked away. The Bible says he went to a far country. And when he got into this far country, he wasted his money on riotous living. This once wealthy, up-to-do Jewish boy found himself feeding the hogs. He was so hungry, he was tempted to eat the slop. Then he came to himself. And one of the, one of the most precious passages in all the Bible, this wayward son, this wayward child said, I can arise and go to my father. He has servants, and I can go back, and I can be a servant, and I can just see this young man. I can see this, this going back to his daddy, and I can, I can just hear him rehearsing what he's going to say to his daddy. I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Send me, send me out back and I'll live back there with the servants. We talk about the prodigal son. Let me tell you something. This passage is not about a wayward son. It's about a loving father. And in my mind, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can see, I can see this daddy. This daddy that's had the screws put to him by his son. I can see him standing every day looking for his boy. I can see the boy walking the path, rehearsing his, his speech. And all of a sudden, daddy sees his boy. And the daddy goes running. I wish I could paint. I wish I was an artist. 
because I would paint a picture that looked something like this. I would picture a young child, a young boy, in the arms of his elderly daddy. Dad has his arm around, one arm around his son to hold him close, another arm underneath him to hold him up. And you cannot see the son's face because the son's face is buried in his dad's shoulder. Behind the dad is a gate. And behind the gate up on the hill is this big, nice, fancy house. And I can see in my mind's eye that on the ground, on the path there, there's a a man's purse. It's laying on the ground. And it's empty. And you can see the backside of the child and it's covered with mud and his robe is torn and there's no shoes on his feet. But the thing that jumps off that canvas to me is the look on daddy's face. That smile. My son, who was once dead, is now alive. Get the robe. Get the ring. Where's the shoes? Let's kill the fatted calf because my son that was dead is now alive. You know what? As you've run your race and as you stumbled and come short, you know what? God's not mad at you. I've been preaching all week long about Adam and the woman in the garden and how they stumbled and how they fell and how God looked at the serpent and he said, You are cursed. You are doomed. He didn't say that to Adam and he didn't say it to Eve. You're going to suffer in childbirth. Sin has a consequence. You're going to suffer in childbirth. And you, Adam, you're going to work. And you're going to have to get it by the sweat of your brow. But he's not mad. What's going on in your life this morning that you haven't given to the Lord? Maybe, maybe you thought, well, this thing that I'm walking through, it's too big for God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing too big for God. Maybe you're walking through this and you're thinking, I'm unworthy. Oh, I'm so unworthy. You don't know where I've stumbled. You don't know where I've fallen. Let me tell you something. The work of the cross, what Jesus Christ did at Calvary, made you worthy. Nothing you have ever done, good or bad, will cause you to be worthy or unworthy. It's the work of the cross that makes you worthy. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. This morning, as you're running the race, and you're doing all that you can do, you need to know something. That the veil of the uh, temple has been torn. The presence of God is available to you. And you, as God's child, can go before Him And because of your righteousness in Jesus Christ, your prayer has power. Your power, your prayer has might. It has strength. Because you belong to Jesus. See, you got to remember this. I preached on the name of Jesus sometime. To a non-believer, someone who says... Jesus that don't believe and trust it. It's just a word. 
But to those of us who believe and trust, who has asked him to save us, the name of Jesus has power. Bow your head with me, please. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Going into a time of invitation. And I'm going to ask you, believer, I'm going to ask you, person that is walking with the Lord, running the race, that's in this impossible, possible challenge, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take your struggle, your affliction, and this morning I'm going to ask you to come to the altar and just give it to the Lord. God don't love you, or God don't love Elijah any more than he loves you. If he'll work in Elijah's life, he'll do it in yours. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to be strong and have a good courage. I'm going to ask you to be men and women of faith. I want you to lay your burden on the altar. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your son's name I pray. Amen.